Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer today, and we're thankful for a love that lifted us from where we were. Lord, we're thankful that you love us so much that you'll take us just as we are, but you won't let us stay that way. Lord, we thank you for each and every part of this service today, and we ask that your name would be honored and glorified in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated, and we're going to have our Go Ye Kids come. And uh, ask that you would take your Bibles and turn to a very, very familiar passage, John chapter 3, if you would. John chapter 3. And I can't help but think on a Sunday morning, as all over this city, people assemble in places they call church, and uh, Bibles are sometimes open, many times are not. Uh, uh, things go on, songs are sung, hymns are played, and yet, does anybody really know, do many people really know why they go to church? What is it, what it's about? You, you meet people out on the street as you're passing out tracts and say, I'd like to give you a gospel tract from, from our church or from the Bible. Oh, I'm okay. I'm, I'm this. I go to church. I don't need that. And yet here in this passage, we have the story about a very religious man and we're not going to take a lot of time to uh, delve into how religious he was, but just to simply say this, that no one in this auditorium this morning uh, would be really even worthy of carrying Nicodemus' briefcase, we might say. Uh, when it came to spiritual things, this man was uh, far and above his accomplishments, I I would dare say that I don't know that I've ever been to a preacher's meeting where there'd be someone that there uh, that would have the accomplishments that Nicodemus had before he met Jesus. And let's just read through down through. Uh, I'd like to read a lengthy passage this morning all the way down uh, through uh, verse 18. Of John chapter 3. So follow carefully in your Bible, if you would. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, and of the Spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and now hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, 
and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that which we do know, and testify that which we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I had told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Arguably, John 3.16 is the most familiar verse in all the Bible. Uh, It's often been said it's the entire Bible condensed into one verse. And and, uh, uh, I could not think of better songs uh, that could have been sung. And and uh, I I love that song, uh, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. For the Bible tells me so. Oftentimes people say, well, we, we want to we get into the deeper things of the Word. I want to challenge you, you can't get any deeper than that. To understand the love of God is beyond all the scholarship this world has to offer. If you wanted scholarship, let's go back to the very beginning. Nicodemus had it. He was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews. Now, we're not trying to to be ridiculous in any way here this morning or foster a sense of pride, but how many people think they could quote ten Bible verses? Would you hold up your hand? Just you, You think you could quote ten verses from the Bible? Okay, there's four, five. How many of you could quote a hundred? How about an entire book from the Bible? Could anybody quote an entire book? I tried that once uh, just out of high school before I went to Bible college. I could actually at one time quote the entire Sermon on the Mount and the book of James. Two very short passages. Nicodemus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Anybody want a Nicodemus Award this morning? I'll tell you what. 
When it comes to religion, Nicodemus had it. When it comes to Bible knowledge, let me tell you, Nicodemus was a man who knew his Bible. He was a man who went to, uh, not to church, of course. He was a Jewish man. He went to synagogue. But he was also a man that had some thought process going on. I mean, how many of you have ever met someone that was educated above their level of intelligence? Uh, I mean, they have a lot of knowledge, but they don't use it. And uh, I think one of the little sayings was something was, You know, the smartest man in the world didn't know enough to come in out of the rain and he died of pneumonia. So what good did his brains do him? Uh, How many of you have ever heard that story told over and over again? Hopefully it wasn't told at you. Uh, 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 Trying to illustrate a point there, but, you know, we we have a world. uh, I don't know about you, uh, if we can just chase a little politics today. I I am so sick of hearing about the smartest man in the room. How about you? Uh, I mean, because these smartest men in the room are responsible for the mess that we're trying to straighten out right now. And if that is really smart, I don't want it. How about you? Um, Nicodemus had thought process. Look what he says. Well, let's look at the first. In chapter 2, it says, The same came to Jesus by night. Now, why did Nicodemus sneak in the darkness of night to talk to Jesus? Well, how many of you remember what happened in John chapter 2 just the day before this? Jesus had gone to the first Passover of his earthly ministry... And he ran the money changers and the sacrifice sellers out of the temple. Can I tell you how offensive that would have been to the leadership of the, of the Pharisees? And this, this was their big, uh, you want to look at money? This was their, their biggest fundraiser of the year was selling the sacrifices at the temple. And Jesus called them thieves and uh, because they were. They weighed your money in light and they sold it out heavy. And so they were stealing from you coming and going. Uh, to give just an illustration, uh, uh, I remember back when I was a bus mechanic at Cleveland, I worked with a man and uh, he worked in a scrapyard. And uh, he was a very good welder, and so he would come and help me on some projects. And he says, listen, he said, we have one truck, a semi-truck of aluminum come in from one of the factories in Cleveland. It's full of shavings and, and leftover ends. And he says, we make $5,000 off the top of every truck that comes in because the scales are tilted in our thing." It gives you a little idea of how much money is out there to be made with an uneven set of scales. And, and, uh, and that was over 30 years ago. 
And so just imagine, now I know the inspectors are supposed to come, but this was Cleveland, and so uh, uh, you have to understand that's just the way things were. Jesus had upset these people severely. And Nicodemus knew that if, if his fellow Pharisees and members of the Sadducees had uh, uh, and rulers had known that he had spent time with this person, he would be criticized out of hand. I mean, how many of you have experienced criticism if you express or have feared criticism to express anything positive about our current president in society today? I mean... Sometimes you just say, I'm not going to say anything. Well, that's what Nicodemus was afraid of. Jesus was not popular. He had just done some things to really upset everybody. But Nicodemus had enough going for him in his mind that he knew that Jesus wasn't just another radical nutcase, that Jesus wasn't just doing things to draw attention to himself. Here's what Nicodemus' testimony was. He said, we know. Now, we is plural, isn't it? Nicodemus wasn't referring only to himself. He was referring to his other Pharisees. We know that thou art a teacher come from God. Does that cast the Pharisees in a little bit different light than maybe what you've thought about them before? See, this was right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The Pharisees knew. He says, For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He said, Listen, nothing else makes any sense. You have got to be a teacher sent from God. Is that such an unreasonable conclusion? No, it's absolutely solid. Nicodemus said, I'm going to meet this guy. I'm going to talk to him. And what Nicodemus was doing here was offering friendship. Uh, uh, In the the contemporary Christian world, it's called bridge building. How can you get to where we are? Uh, I read a book years ago, The Stained Glass Barrier. Ever since I read that book, I prayed that God would give me a church with stained glass windows. Uh, just to uh, stick my finger in the eye of that author who, who says that windows will keep people from coming to church. No, it's not windows. It's what goes on in the heart that keeps people from coming to Jesus. Now, isn't it? You see, bridge building, conciliating the world, making attachments to the world. 
You cannot meet the world halfway. You cannot negotiate with the devil. I don't care who says what. It cannot be done. Nicodemus was trying. And here's what Jesus did. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verily, verily. We don't use that in modern English anymore. Uh, But how many of you have a verified eBay address? Same word. Or a verified PayPal account. Uh, Same word. Certified. Verified. Truly, truly. Jesus says, Listen, I want you to pay attention to this. What I'm telling you is true. Except a man be born again. He cannot... Now, it doesn't say enter, does it? What does it say there? It says see. It says he's not even going to get a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. Can I challenge you gathered in churches all out throughout this city? Yea, even there's a great possibility in this auditorium this morning. There are people here that do not see or understand or even comprehend the truth of the kingdom of God, though they talk about it every day. As a pastor, it's one of the most heartbreaking thoughts. And it's in the Bible, all through the Bible, that people who think they are saved, people who believe they have a relationship with God, are so blinded by their own thought process and their own reasoning ability that they can't even comprehend the fact that they're unsaved and without God. That's where Nicodemus was. Would you agree with me? How could you get more religious than Nicodemus was? And he was here trying to build a bridge. He was trying to conciliate. He was trying to bring together Jesus because he knew that the things Jesus did, only God could do. And Jesus just literally slaps him down. And says, you don't even have a clue as to what it's going to take to enter the kingdom of God. I'd say having the first five books of the Bible memorized would be a pretty good start, wouldn't you? To spend your whole life in the best we understand. Nicodemus was not a young man at this point. He was approaching the end of his life. He had spent his whole life studying the Bible, the promises of the Messiah, everything. And it wasn't until the day of Jesus' death that Nicodemus finally had enough, whatever you want to call it, 
How about we use the word sight today? To stand up and be counted as a follower of Jesus Christ. He attended Jesus' funeral. The disciples were all gone. The women only watched. It was Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, and I imagine their servants, that took the body of Jesus and buried it. See, what I want to preach on today is God's salvation. Just so simple. And yet, everything that Nicodemus had wasn't enough. He was not saved. If Nicodemus had died in John chapter 4, we have no hope that he would have ended up on the right side of eternity. But when we get to John chapter 19... In John chapter 20, we, we see that there's a change that happened in the life of Nicodemus. Salvation is not a process. It's an event. But sometimes it takes a while to get there now, doesn't it? Don't confuse the working of God in your life to bring you to salvation and what salvation actually is. Can we say amen to that? Nicodemus didn't have salvation here. And Jesus just literally, uh, there's no other way to put it. I mean, he just slaps him down. He just pushes away everything he he takes that outstretched hand of friendship and says, No! Because that won't get you to heaven. You must be born again. You know, the devil is so cunning. How many of you can remember a time in your life where you took your life, whatever God had given you to that point, you were unsaved and you thought that somehow God would take your life and help you be good enough to get to heaven someday. You, you attended a church that taught a works-type salvation. The end goal was that someday you might be good enough to go to heaven. How many of you went to a church like that? If you just lift up your hand, let people know. You see... How many of you didn't go to any church anywhere and you just kind of hoped that whatever you had would be good enough to please God? No, we had some of those too, didn't we? You see, Nicodemus was taken totally off guard here. And so he asked the classic question, and we've tried, I've tried to put this in a track that we pass out in verse 4. How can a man be born when he is old? Okay, you said I need to be born again. How does that happen? I'm an old man. And then he even clarifies the thought so that we, so that we know that he was online with exactly what Jesus was saying here. 
Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, I'm not sure what the actual name for this is. Uh, It's not really practiced anymore, but this was about 20 years ago. They had a rebirth uh, therapy. Does anybody remember that? Where they would take uh, a young person or maybe even not so young person, they would wrap them very tightly in blankets and everybody would pile on top of them and you would struggle against the blankets and the people in the process of of re-emerging from your mother's womb. Now, I have a name for that. It's called STUPID. Capital letters all the way through. And finally, what put an end to it was they murdered a little girl in the process. They suffocated her. And I say little girl, I think she was in her late teens, early 20s. Very troubled young lady. Had no idea what was life. And some idiot, and we use that in the medical sense, that means your IQ has got to be below 60 and above 30. Uh, uh, And houseplants come in about 15. So that kind of gives you an idea of where these people are. Wrap this little girl in a blanket and says, you're going you're gonna to realize the struggle that you've been through in life and, and it will give you a rebirth. And they murdered her. That's the word. Nobody went to prison for it. Should have. Oh, it was an accident. Uh, what's the number one rule in your OSHA class? Accidents do not have to happen. And that is true with so very few exceptions. And those very few exceptions are because somebody who was there before you that you knew nothing about did something they weren't supposed to do. That that normally catches on. 99.99% of all accidents. You see... Being born physically allows you to enter the human race. I met a guy in the subway one time. He said he wasn't a member of the human race. And other from the Bible, I really wanted to believe him. Uh, uh, If it had not been uh, for for what this book called the Bible says, I'll tell you what, he he had a great thing going for him. Uh, It was unbelievable. But see, being born into the human race does not get you into God's family. And we've been through this, and I hope not to just but uh, repeat things here, but look, look what the Bible says here in verse 5. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, people love verse 5. You see, you got to be baptized. By the way, we're having a baptism today. We love baptisms at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. You know why? Because it's a public testimony of something that already has happened spiritually. I've heard some jokes, especially 
from uh, churches where they teach that you just need to sprinkle a little water on people's head to call it baptism. So let's just get a garden hose out. We'll baptize everybody. Uh, it doesn't work. Because baptism is your public testimony of a living relationship with the living God. Amen? Amen? Baptism is something you ought to do. But he's not talking about baptism in verse 5. I remember in early grades of of, uh, the Christian school I went to, uh, someone tried to talk about verse 5 as baptism. And I remember raising my hand as just a, a, a student, junior high or something, and said, but the next verse says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It, isn't it talking about a spiritual birth versus a physical birth? And, and, and unfortunately, the teacher was like, no, not really. That, that's talking about baptism. And I'm sitting there scratching my head and Later, I found out that the only way you get there is you start out at the wrong place first. You see, if you let the Bible stand on its own two feet, it always explains itself. I was not old enough to understand. Otherwise, I would have argued the point. But I understand a little bit now. After 12 children... uh, there's this thing that happens called the waters breaking. That's, that's not a, a, an unnatural occurrence. Every one of us was born of water. Because we're a member of the human race. Amen? How many of you remember your birthday? You do not. Nobody does. But how many of you know what your birthday is? Why? Because your mama told you so. That's why she remembers. And if we have any mothers here at all, they remember. Each and every one. I remember when... Joey came along. He was number 11. And sometimes you, the Lord just lets you have some things happen. He said, well, uh, I, think we've, I think we've got this thing pretty well underhand. We know what to expect. Joey changed all the rules. It was amazing how different everything was. And it just snapped me back to reality. My wife along with me and said, you know what, we... We, we really don't know as much as we think we do now, do we? Every birth is different. It is unique. And even if you have a textbook book birth, guess what? It's yours, so it's different than anybody else's. You see, Jesus was likening the spiritual birth to the physical birth. And here's the mistake that I want us to get a hold of this morning. If, if you get nothing else, get this. 
When Jesus said you must be born again, He's not taking the life you have and reshaping it. He's giving you a brand new one. The first birth got you into the human race, but it does not bring you, cannot bring you into a relationship with God. It is not a rebirth in the fact that God is taking this life and making it over again. He is taking a brand new life, the Holy Spirit of God, and putting it in you. Can we say amen to that? You see, it's not reformation. It's not remaking. That's what the word rebirth means today. We were at the Gettysburg battlefield Monday, and we read, I read out loud the Gettysburg address that President Abraham Lincoln delivered there at the cemetery. We were just a, a short distance from the very point when he spoke those words, and And our country was in a great conflict. And he said that we could experience a rebirth of freedom. What he was talking about was a reshaping and a remaking of this country so that the two sides that were now killing each other, 50,000 men died on that battlefield we rode our bikes over. could become one nation again. See, that's not what Jesus is talking about when he says you need to be born again. You see, it's not a reshaping. And really, the Civil War did reshape this country in many, many different ways. In fact, the scholars and historians are still arguing. And every, every once in a while, meet someone that's still fighting the Civil War. And I'd just like to ask him the question, do you want to lose twice? Uh, you know, what's, what's, the, what's the purpose here? We're not trying to refight the Civil War. But being born again is not reshaping. It's not changing the current life as it is. It is the addition of a brand new life that has never lived before. We do not believe in reincarnation. We do not believe in recycling of souls and soul material. It comes from God, and God puts within each person the presence of His Holy Spirit the moment you are born again. It's a brand new life that God has given you. And one of these days in heaven, we will be completely remade in His image. And let's just go to Genesis chapter 1 and just look at a few verses here very carefully and very quickly this morning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, And God said, Let us... Now, does your Bible say us in there? If God... We're not the triune God. This would be a grammatical error. By the way, it's plural in the Hebrew from which our Bible came from. God said, let us make man in our image. And after our likeness, and let them 
have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Genesis chapter 2. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof. Please read this last phrase with me out loud. Thou shalt surely die. I only got about four of you. Let's try it again. Thou shalt surely die. Skip down to chapter 3 and verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desire, to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Now what did God say? In the day that ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. And the next verse in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 says, And their eyes were opened. Now, wait a minute. Did they die? Oh, you bet they did. God never plays games. You see, that's why you must be born again. Because you're dead. You were created in God's image. A body, a soul, and a spirit. Sin. The spirit died. All you have left is a body and a soul. That's the difference between the image of God and the image of Adam. That's why God must give you a new life. He's not fixing the one before. It's a brand new life. Just like you were born, you never existed before your birthday. You have to go to college. You have to get trained. You have to believe in things that are utter nonsense and beyond to come to any other conclusion than that we are individual human beings and we have a birthday where we began and we have a day of death where our life ends. That is our human existence. The spiritual is exactly the same way. There must be a day, a point in time where that life began spiritually. That's what being born again is. When you were born physically, your mama did all the work. When you were born spiritually, who did all the work? God did. It took an old rugged cross. It took an empty tomb. It took over 30 years of of God living among men and not even making himself known. His earthly ministry was just a little over three years and Jesus died on the cross and was buried and rose again. And here's Nicodemus' statement. Go back to John chapter 3. What's it say in verse 9? How can these things be? Nicodemus looked at him and said, I have no idea what you're talking about. You see, 
Nicodemus now understands how blind he was to the truth. He has no clue. And Jesus said, listen, I'm just telling you those things which we have seen, and you don't receive my witness. How many of you remember when somebody first gave you the gospel and it just seemed like a bunch of silliness and nonsense? Do you remember that? Couldn't see. Just like Nicodemus. See, how can these things be? And Jesus says, listen, I'm not talking to you about physical things. I'm talking to you about spiritual things. You see, you can't build a bridge between man and God. There is no reconciliation except through faith. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you remember that time and that place where you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Someone says, well, I'm not sure I remember an exact time. I don't... Well, wait a minute. It's not your memory that saves you. It's Jesus that saves you. Amen? I met a man who was working with Brother Clayton. This was Fargo, North Dakota. And we were helping a church get started there that's now really one of the greatest churches in that whole part of the country. And at that time, there was only a few of us there, just a handful of people. In fact, they were... So few people that the preacher actually let me preach the first Sunday evening service of the church to all five or six of us that were on the team and the pastor and his wife. And uh, no one was injured with the uh, exhortations that night. I don't know how much they were encouraged, but uh, praise God, that was a long time ago. But I met a man there. I spent about two and a half, three hours in his house just going from the gospel, from Genesis the whole way to Revelation. He just, he said, I I don't know what to do. Uh, I can't. I said, listen, here's the bottom line. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I said, the problem is you don't have enough faith. You got to get more of the word of God. He said, I can believe that. And so we left him with that and, and we were... Uh, knocking on doors about 10, 12 hours a day, six days a week. I mean, we were just out there trying to help this church get started. And uh, uh, I thought, wow, you know what? I need to go back and see that man. And so I went back about 10, 12 days later, knocked on his door. He says, oh, I'm so glad you came. He said, I'm saved. And I said, really? And, And I began to talk to him. He says, I don't know when it happened. He said, but I know I'm saved. And I said, well, tell me what. He said, listen, after you left, he said, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't. He said, so I just went, took my Bible and went to the park. And he said, I sat down under a tree and I stayed there for three days. He said, I didn't go home. I didn't do anything. He said, I just had to sort this thing out. And he said, sometime during those three days, I got saved. So I went back to the preacher and I said, Preacher, you need to talk to this guy. And uh, he came back and he says, that's the weirdest testimony I ever heard. But you know, he says he believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I can't argue with the scriptures. And praise God. It's not about you. 
It's about Jesus. Amen. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what Jesus says here in, in verse 11. Verily, verily, I say unto you, we plural speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and ye receive not our plural witness. Who is he talking about here? Jesus was talking about he had the witness of the Father. He did the works that the Father gave him to do. The witness of the Holy Spirit of God. That was the plurality there. But did not Jesus also receive witness from all the prophets that gave the Old Testament as well? And the lives of those that believed? You see, you have to reject so much truth. To remain unsaved, that it's almost impossible to believe that anybody does that by accident. Are we still together? You've got to reject the love of God. You've got to reject the reason why Jesus died on the cross. You've got to reject this story of Jesus' life as recorded in the Scriptures. You've got to literally say that every person that has called themselves a Christian and lived down through the ages is a fraud, a fake, a phony, so that you can hold on to your lack of belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing to me how many people do that and refuse to even open their eyes and see what they're doing. Tell you what, blindness is a terrible thing. But there's a cure for it. Even as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I am so glad I preach an empty cross today. How about you? A cross where Jesus suffered, past tense, died once, so that He could ever live and offer eternal life to all that believe on His name. Can we say amen to that? Don't worry, I'll have you out of here before 1 o'clock. You see... For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is not looking for an excuse to condemn the world. He's looking for those that He can save. But He won't save you unless you're willing to make that decision to believe on Him. Can we say amen to that? You see, the Bible says that He's not there to condemn us. It says, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. You see, you were born under the condemnation of God's judgment, and the only way you relieve that condemnation, and the only way you remove that, is by accepting what Jesus did on a cross one time to pay the price for your sins forever. How many of you say, Pastor, I know everything you're talking about today. 
There, there's not been anything new. But I see it, and I know Jesus is my Savior. Would you say amen to that? If you're here today and you don't know that, would you be willing to trust Jesus as your Savior? Would you make today the day that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you allow God to put today's date down on your spiritual birth certificate? Saying, I'm not going to try to be religious anymore. I'm not going to try to make friends with the world or with God. I'm just going to believe that what Jesus did was all that I needed. I'm going to ask Him to save me. That's how a person gets saved. Then... You ought to get baptized. And after you're baptized, you ought to serve the Lord in the local church. Because that's the plan. That's all there is to it. Doesn't get any deeper than that. And it only takes one thing. Your whole life. That's all it takes. But it's a great deal. If you want to look at it that way. I gave Jesus a miserable, hell-bound life. Every good thing in my life today is because of Jesus. How many people say, Preacher, I can say amen with you on that one. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you today. Lord, we ask that you would bring home to our hearts a true understanding of what it means to be saved, to be born again that we would not allow some cheap imitation or feeling or emotion or something that somebody else tells us that's not printed in this book called the Bible to govern our understanding. Lord, we ask that you would work during this time of invitation. And those that are saved would dedicate themselves afresh, to serving the one who died for them and gave them eternal life. If there be one here today that is unsaved, Lord, we ask that you would open their eyes that they could see. And Lord, we just thank you for the work that you will do in hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as the hymn of invitation is played. If you just need to come and pray, the altar's open. If you're here today and you'd like someone to take the Bible and so that you can know your sins are forgiven and heaven's your home.